to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Let's pray before we begin, shall we? Jesus, we want to thank you for the privilege of worshipping in the manner that we just did. We thank you for the privilege of uh, coming to an auditorium like this and freely expressing our devotion and affection to you in a comfortable space. Uh, God, we thank you for that privilege of uh, worship. But God, most of all, we we ask that uh, you will help us live lives of worship, that our every deed, uh, every moment of our lives would be an offering to you, would offer praise and, and worship and incense to your throne, that we will live lives uh, that, that reflect the songs that we sing, that we will be uh, a walking worship service of one, <laughs> for the audience of one. And we thank you for that privilege. We honor, we love you, and thank you for this time that we get to learn and, and encounter you through your word. We thank you for this privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before I begin this morning, I want to start off with two thoughts. Everybody say two thoughts. thoughts. C.S. Lewis, in uh, one of his, um, um, it's it's a famous apologetics argument. He he calls it the trilemma. Okay, it's not a new word invented. Okay, you know dilemma too. Trilemma is three. three. And so Lewis, um, you know, when he's communicating uh, this note to uh, to atheists, you know, he he presents it this way. He says that. For a person like Jesus to communicate the ideals that he communicated, to, communi- to say the things that Jesus did, Jesus could only be one of three things. He would either be Lord, he would be a li- or he would be a liar, or he would be a lunatic. It's either he is God, he is truly Lord of all, and everything he says is absolutely true, or he would be a liar, seeking to deceive you, a crazy person, or he would be a lunatic. Someone who is mentally insane to say the things that he did. But how many of you believe that Jesus is truly Lord of all? Yes? And if he's truly Lord of all, then everything that the Bible says, everything that, that is in the Word of God is true. Does it, is it, yeah? Does it make sense? Have I lost you yet? We're only two minutes in. Right? He's, he is Lord of all. Thus, everything in His Word is absolutely true. Yes? We do not have the luxury of nitpicking and picking stuff out of the Word like, oh, these things seem believable and these things, I'm not too sure I put it aside. No. He's Lord of all. And because He's Lord of all, He is worthy of absolute surrender. Absolute devotion. Not a half-past six one, not like a 50%, 60% one, but absolute 100% devotion because He is Lord of all. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. The Bible has this verse, and I'm sure we are all familiar with it, and the verse goes, the kingdom of God, this kingdom that we are part of, that we have been grafted into, this kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. Familiar with that verse? If you look at that verse in its original language, it goes, the kingdom of God is not a matter of logos, but dunamis. And logos is what we typically associate the word of God with. 
It's not a matter of words on pages, but dunamis. And dunamis is where we get the word dynamite from. It means expression and demonstration. The kingdom of God is not a matter of words on pages, concepts, theories, but it is demonstration, expression. The things that we talk about today, the things that we we preach from our pulpits, the things that we hear from sermons, that we read in books, are not meant to stay in the books (laughs) and stay in your head. It demands an expression and demonstration. And that is the vision I want to cast for our time together, every time we, we get the opportunity on a Sunday morning to interact with each other over the Word of God, that we come with the expectation that, that hey, everything that is preached and everything that, is, is, is th- that the Bible says is absolutely true and it demands an expression. And so we are here today to hear from the Word of God and to obey. Demands an expression. Are we good? Yes? Awesome. Well, today, I want to talk about giving. And my sermon title today is The Gift of Giving. It's it's not Christmas, but hey. I, um, as as a a new preacher, um, I have uh, talked to a few pastors here and there and uh, gotten advices and I was like, you know, what, what are some of the hardest topics to preach on? And, and the topic on, on money, you know, is up there with like, who's the Antichrist? Uh, who are the Nephilims? Uh, you know, <laughs> stuff like sex, you know, which I don't know yet. So maybe in like six months we can do us. No, I'm just kidding. Absolutely not. That's not enough experience. It's P- PD's topic. <laughs> That's his next summer series. <laughs> yeah, join MFL. Yeah, I'm sure they talk about it a lot. Yeah. So, so yeah, but, but money is always like this, like, ooh, pastor's talking about money, ooh, you know, and it's, it's one of the scariest topics to, to approach. But, you know, Jesus talks about money so often in the Bible that, you know, it, you have to, like, Close your eyes through like almost like half of the gospels to do not even approach and 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 interact with that topic, yeah? yeah. And I think it's really on God's heart for us to to learn this, to learn kingdom principles with regards to money. Yeah. I'm making sense. Yeah. Now, how many of you are second generation, uh, first generation Christians? That means you got saved first, yeah? How many of you remember a time when um, you know you had friends who were saved and then they talk about Jesus a lot, and you were around them. And every time they talk about Jesus, you would like walk away, or you're like, oh, get away from me. How many remember stuff like that? Yeah? Yes? Yeah. I remember Axel tried to do that to me. I was like, oh, Axel, go away. You know? um, and, and it's, you know, when the matter is, isn't settled, right? No, but you see, after I got saved, right? You know, when I hear Christians talking about God and Jesus, I was like, oh, I'm curious, or like, what are you talking about? I want to hear. And, and it would be something that I would actually go near to instead of avoid and shun away. Yes? Follow me. It's interesting that, you no, know, when the matter is settled in the heart, it brings about a different response. Isn't it? Right? Before I was saved, you know, it was, whenever I heard something like that, or Jesus about Christ, I would shun away, I would avoid the topic. But when I got saved, when that matter was settled in my heart, 
Every time I heard about Jesus and Christ, it was an invitation to engage. The same would apply to money and giving. Until the issue is settled in your heart, every time money is brought up in this context, it will be a point of aggravation, frustration, and irritation. Some of you right now, just by me saying the word money, you're like, oh, Christian curse word. <laughs> you know, I don't want to hear it here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and until the matter is settled in the heart, until you come to a conclusion within you, it will always be a point of frustration and irritation and aggravation. And I want to extend it to, it'll be a point, it'll be a place where you on purpose will build walls to shut the Lord out because you're like, I, I don't want to deal with this. Lord, you do not have access to this. And whatever you shut out, whatever you, you put outside, the dominion and the rulership of God will become an idol in your life, will become a stumbling block to you engaging with the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Oh, love you, Ming. <laughs> so giving money is, you know, it's... it's so it's interesting, you know, it's something that, you know, it's, uh, I don't think it's talked about uh, as often in church. And I think the reason is because, you know, over the years, you know, when people engage this topic, you know, they, they have developed some really dysfunctional mindset with approach to finances. And I'm sure all of you can relate, you know, you've heard teachings that, oh, you know, prosperity, you know, having a lot of money, having a lot of wealth is an indication of your spirituality. The more uh, spiritual you are, the more loved and favored by Jesus you are, the more money you will have. And the reaction to that is also equally as dysfunctional, that, oh, you, when you are poor, when you are eating from the ground, when you don't have clothes to wear, when you are sackcloth and locust, you are spiritual. Both are very dysfunctional thoughts. You know? And it's because of teachings like that, you know, that we have completely, you know, if you were throwing the baby out of the bathwater, we're like, we're not going to engage with that topic. Right? But it's so much on, on God's heart. You know? And, and I want to I wanna say to you this morning that your spirituality, okay, is the, the measurement of how spiritual you are is not indicated by your bank balance. Absolutely not. Whether it's high or low, absolutely not. That's a dysfunctional teaching that is a lie from the pit of hell. But when we look at the Old Testament and when we read the Bible, you know, there, there is a, a clear, uh, there are stories, right, you know, where people who diligently seek the Lord, who sort of, who are obedient to the Lord, they grew in resources as well. Think of people like Solomon, like David, they were obedient to the Lord and the Lord increased their resources, increased their influence, and they were able to impact the people around them. Blessing and increase is always on God's heart. But blessing and increase has to be the byproduct of right priorities. When we seek first the kingdom of God, all things will be added unto you. Blessing and increase, increase in favor, increase in resources, has to be a byproduct of right priorities. We all know people who pursue wealth and they grow in wealth, they grow in influence. But how many of you know that that same people have had losses in their lives as a result of that pursuit? They fix their eyes on their career and 
family lives suffers, you know, the health suffers. But there's this, there's this fantastic verse in the, in the Bible. It says that the Lord adds blessing to us, and with that comes no sorrow. The blessing increase that the Lord has for you, wants for you, doesn't have sorrow attached to it. And it only comes from having right priorities. Am I making sense? Seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. I don't know about you, but I'm of the opinion that the church, the body of Christ, is to be a place where there is no lack. That's my firm belief. That is what I I hold on to. You know, it's too. No, I don't think it's just like to to survive, but to thrive. That the body of Christ is to be a place that thrives in abundance. Yeah. I think so. You know, if if that verse is true, if He is truly Lord of all, His word is true. Then, when I seek first the kingdom of God, all things should be added unto me. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the problem with the church. We applaud those who seek first the kingdom of God. But we criticize those when they have all things added unto them. Just a thought. Isaiah 60 prophesies, and and we love this scripture in Isaiah 60. It says, Arise and shine, your light has come. Kings shall come to the brightness of your rising suns, and daughters will come from afar. But there's this verse, it says, it says, and the wealth of the nations will be turned over to you. I wonder if we could become a people like that, that the Lord would trust us with wealth, not to build bigger buildings, but to advance His kingdom gospel because we have been proven as a trustworthy people who are not bask in the comfort of wealth, but recognize that this money I can use to effect change around me. How many of you have walked past an individual and, and, or like came across an individual and heard a problem and you wish, you're like, oh my gosh, I hope some rich, that this person re- meets some rich person and a rich person can take care of the problem. How many of you have ever had that feeling? Yeah? There was once I was walking downstairs and I, I came across this, this auntie. She was uh, asking for money and, and I sat down and I talked to her and uh, she was like, you know, um, I gave her a bunch of money and she was like, honestly, that's not enough. And, and I was like, okay, what's up? So she said, her husband has had a stroke uh, for some 30 years, chalked up a bunch of medical bills, um, uh, you know, did the government stuff, uh, no insurance, and she's $50,000 in debt. And so she has to beg every day to just make ends meet. And it's just enough to have a meal, uh, live somewhat simply, and they're still heavily in debt. And in my head, I was like, man, you know, I wish I knew someone with like, a bunch of money and can just like take care of that $50,000, you know. Right? How many of you have had that encounter, that feeling, yeah? You, you encounter a person in need and you're like, man, I wish I could help or wish like someone can help, you know. And the, the, the interesting thing is that most of the time our reaction is, like, oh, let someone take care of it, right? But what if you or as a church, we can become people that the Lord will trust with that kind of resources to meet needs, people around us? What if we don't like circumvent and outsource it to someone else? What if we become the, the answers, if you will, to prayers that have been prayed? Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
Whenever I give on Sunday morning, I come with two postures, if you will. And uh, I hope to impress in your heart uh, that every, every morning we give to come with these two postures, postures. First things first, I see offering and giving something to God as an absolute privilege, right? You know, it's something that was a privilege reserved for the high priest, right? Only the high priest could come into the presence of God and offer something, right? You know, but today I get to, to take this and I get to come into his presence and lay something at his feet. It is a privilege that has been reserved for new covenant believers, for people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It's a privilege. It is a fruit from the finished work of the cross. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. I know it might not feel that way, but by the end of the sermon, I'm going to convince you that it's a privilege. It is. Absolute privilege. The second posture I come, uh, I, 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 I put myself to when I give is, you know, this money, Right? How many of you have money in your wallets now? Yeah, money. Right? Have you, do you know where this money has been? Unless you've picked it up directly from the mint. None of you know where this money has been, right? right? This money has probably been a bunch of places. This money could have been used to buy drugs, buy pornography, solicit prostitutes. could have been used for all sorts of evil deeds and you would have no, absolutely no idea. But today, it is in your hands. You get to put it into something that is kingdom. You get to put it into something that is worthy, that offers worship to Him. It's in my hands now. And if I look at this, not as just paper, but as soldiers I send to the battlefield, right? I put it in a bucket and I'm like, destroy hell, you know, <laughs> go and kill some demons, you know, I, I put my resources in with, with a vision, right, right, I'm giving unto something, that making sense, does, does this like, you know, the, the real goal is that I want to reignite faith in your giving, you know, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And I don't think cheerful giver is like when the pastor tells you, God loves a cheerful giver, and you're like, huh? huh? <laughs> and you just like force out a smile as a give. I, I don't think so. I think it's true joy, true delight in your heart, knowing that when I give it, I give unto a kingdom purpose that brings about a kingdom reward. This thing, okay, will fade away. It, will, it, it can be torn, it can be ripped, it will fade away. But what you choose to do with it today yeah. will last for an eternity. Yeah. Just a thought. How many of you are with me? Yeah. In the Gospels, when we see you know, whenever the Lordship of Jesus or the testings of, of, of a person's resolve to follow slash love Jesus, material wealth or the attachment to it lies at the center of that conversation. Matthew 6, it says, it says, you cannot serve God and mammon. How many of you know what mammon is? It's not mammoth, mammon. <laughs> mammon, uh, if you, uh, you know, have a study Bible, which I encourage you all, all to have, you know, because you'll realize that Andre is not that smart. He reads the study Bible, and the study Bible has interesting facts. And the, the word mammon is actually, um, actually comes from a uh, it's actually the Syrian name 
for the God of money or the God of wealth. You cannot serve God, Jehovah, and Mammon, this pagan Syrian God of wealth. And what really is God or a God? God is something you worship, you pursue, have allegiance to, and place trust in. The question of the hour is, how much money is too much money? Whatever amount replaces your trust in God. Whatever amount that will cause you to put trust in that over the Lord. Whenever that happens, this is mammon. Am I making sense? Let's read a, a verse of scripture to make this sermon legal. Second uh, Corinthians. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to it. <clears throat> Let us read the word of God together. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Okay, let's look at the next slide. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Amazing passage of scripture. I want to pull out uh, some truths from, from this passage. Uh, how many of you uh, were around when PD uh, spent like, I think five or seven minutes talking about this concept of seed and bread? How many of you were around for that? Yeah? Okay, if you want run around that, I will try my best to recap and try my best to exp- uh, present to you this concept. We need to recognize that God's provision is like a two-sided coin. Right? There are two sides to God's provision. Seed, okay, is what you sow for a future harvest, right? It's what you put to the ground, okay, for the purpose of a future harvest, which you get to feast from afterwards. Bread is something that you enjoy now. You nourish yourself with that bread. It is foolish for you to eat your seed, right? But it's equally as foolish for you to plant your bread, Right? He gives us seed and bread. The foolish teaching is this, that God doesn't want you to enjoy anything. He wants you to take all you have and just give it all away. Right? You are not worthy of any enjoyment. <laughs> you are not worthy of any form of nourishment. No, you throw everything away. I don't think that's the case. No, we, we have to come to an understanding that or, or even... Real, uh, you know, I, th- I think it comes with an encounter, but realize that this God that we serve is not a God who is distant, but He is a Father yeah. who loves you, yeah. who cares for you, yeah. who will provide to you that He is, he is such a great Father. The, the, the Bible says that you know, what the Father uh, uh, gives you a stone when you ask for bread. He's not a Father like that. He is a, a great, gracious Father. 
He wants to give you bread and seed. Bread for your for nourishment, seed for a future harvest. You know, how many of you remember the story of the children of Israel, right? Wilderness, and then they got out of the wilderness, they got into the promised land. Every miracle that the children of Israel experienced in the wilderness was to sustain them. Right? It was to nourish them. Right? Their clothes did not wear out. They had manna every day. They had the fire which provided warmth in the night. Cloud by day which provided shade. But when the children of Israel moved out of the wilderness and into the promised land, they experienced miracles as well. The sun standing still, uh, miraculous victories. Every miracle that they experienced in the promised land was to advance them. Okay? We miss out on advancing in the Lord and the kingdom when we have a wilderness mentality with our resources. What is a wilderness mentality? It's a mentality of lack. And really, you know, we we affectionately, not affectionately call it, we call it the, the poverty spirit. And, and here's where the poverty spirit manifests in, in the wilderness. When God, who promised the children of Israel manna, I'm going to give you manna every day. And the children of Israel were like, oh, uh, I'm not too sure. And they, they started hoarding the manna, right? They started keeping this manna, right? And then God was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> right? I'm going to give you manna every day, right? And this idea of like, you know, I, I don't know whether I can trust you or like, I will never have enough. You will never provide. That is a wilderness mentality. And when we have such a mentality, it prevents us from experiencing the provision of God. It prevents us from advancing in God. There are miracles in store for your life that are for the purpose of advancing you. Am I making sense? The truth is, if they kept the manna, they would have only eaten of something inferior. The manna would, you know, go bad and they would eat. You know, Sankor, manna, right? Is that, is that right? Sankor is... What's Sankor? Stale, yeah. Modi. Yeah, Modi manna. Yeah. I only heard my mother say it, so I'm just... <laughs> Don't eat the bread, Sankor. Yeah. Right, they've only eaten inferior manna, right? But when they chose not to engage in that mentality, every day they saw the provision of God. Every day they saw the hand of the Lord. There is no miracle without circumstance. There is no provision without need. I'm making sense. Going back to the verse, it says, it says in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That's crazy, right? All sufficiency in all things. Not just, and, and, and it doesn't stop there, that you may have an abundance for every good work. Right? That means, you know, that, that the Lord is not just concerned about your need, He's concerned about your desires. He's not a God that provides to the point of your need, He provides to the point of your desire. When you seek first His kingdom, he will ensure that all things are added unto you. Am I making sense? Like I said, our cheerfulness and our, our joy and, 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 and this thing where we, we say, you guys got to be cheerful in the giving, it's not a forced emotion. It's, it's a deep 
sense of knowing that, if you will, this loss, right, this money that I'm putting in, this loss is temporal. It's seed. I'm planting it into a ground. And it will, it will bear a harvest. It will bear a harvest. And when I have that, you know, no farmer, when he plants a seed to the ground, he goes, oh my gosh, my seed, my seed. He doesn't think that way. He doesn't think that way, right? He's like, oh my gosh, my seed. He doesn't think that way. Right? He puts it in the ground in full knowledge that this would bear a bountiful harvest. We were on like an accidental series on faith. And really, your faith is most evident in the way you handle your resources. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, let's look at another verse, Matthew 22. This is uh, one of my favorite stories. It's the story of the Pharisees trying to get one over on Jesus, but Jesus comes out victorious. Amen. It goes like this. Then the Pharisees met together, oh my gosh, to plot how to trap Jesus into saying, it's a trap, into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him, teacher. They said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Ooh, great question. Next slide, Jesus answers. But Jesus knew their evil motives and he went, you hypocrites. I just love how kind and gentle Jesus is. You, can just picture it saying in a very nice way, you hypocrites. I don't think so. There's an exclamation mark, so probably, you hypocrites. He said, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the text. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. I've often used this, this uh, passage to um, allude to this point of like, you know, the coin had Caesar's image on it, therefore you give it to Caesar, but whatever has the image of God, you have to give it to God. We were made in the image of God. And I've often used this verse and it's like all my preachy verses. But if you look at it in this context, right, Jesus is saying to them, pay your taxes. Give honor to whatever government you're under. Pay your taxes. But give to God what belongs to God. And for the Jewish person hearing this, they're like, oh, this is challenging. But I want to put it to you that when you give, you acknowledge the lordship of Jesus in your life. The paying of taxes is the acknowledgement that I am under such and such a government. I am reaping the benefits, if you will, from this government and I pay taxes. You give to God what is due to God. When we give, it's an acknowledgement of the lordship of Jesus in our lives. That's why we give. Right? Every gift it's us saying, yes, Lord, I believe you are Lord. Yes, God, I believe you are king. Yes, Lord, I believe I'm part of a kingdom. Yes, Lord, I believe that in your kingdom, when I seek first, it will be ended unto me. Yes, Lord, every dollar, every cent shouts, I believe. This morning, I want to talk about uh, three areas of Christian giving. Everybody say three. 
three areas of Christian giving. And um, I think this would help some of you structure your finances a bit. But I think for some of you, it would open the realm of possibility, if you will. And, and I think it's going to encourage some of you. It's going to frustrate some of you. But all in good kingdom fun, right? <laughs> Not really, but I think it's good. And it's the Bible. The first area of Christian giving I want to talk about. I want to talk about the tithe. Everybody say the tithe. This is like Christian curse word. You know, it's like when I say the tithe, people are like, oh, tithe. <laughs> tithe, tithe. <laughs> but the tithe, it's, it's, it's a very gentle and not, it's not going to bite you, okay? The tithe. Okay, this is what the tithe is for. The tithe. Next slide. The tithe is given in response to his lordship. Everybody say lordship. Okay. I want to present the subject of tithe to you as an opportunity and not an obligation. All right. Let's have uh, Malachi 3. Uh, Malachi. And uh, if you are from Italy, Malachi. Okay. Malachi chapter 3 says this. Will a man Rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Next slide. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Let's go back to that slide first. That there will not be room enough to receive it. And if you see it in its original language, right, it says right, that the blessing of God will be immeasurable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, unlimited. Next slide. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I love this uh, verse in the Psalms. It says, Lord, bless me, that your way may be known in the earth. And, and, I, and I want to come back to that. The thought that I think the church is to be the most blessed place on planet earth. And this blessing is not so that you know, we can sit in more comfy, cushiony chairs. But that blessing would be a signpost, if you will, that points people to the reality of God. Lord, bless me so that your way may be known on the earth that they will truly know that you are a good, good father. That your goodness, Lord, will be manifested in every area of my life, not just in song, in profession, but in every area of my goodness will abound. I want to address some misconceptions about the tithe. Can I do that? Yeah? And I, 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 first of all, I want to thank all of you who have been faithfully sowing and giving into this house. And, you know, it's such uh, an honor you know, to, um, to have you in this house, you know, people who have great faith. You know, and if you're visiting for the first time, 
um, this message isn't re- really for you. You know, it's it's more a family talk, and uh, you do not have to give because someone gave in order for you to have that seat. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Misconceptions about tithe. There's a thought that the tithe comes from the law. It does not come from the law. The tithe originated from Abraham and Jacob. And these guys were doing it some 400 years before the law came into existence. What the law did was the law ratified that practice and put it into uh, writing, if you will. It originates from Abraham and Jacob who practiced the tithe way before the law. Jesus then affirms the tithe in his rebuke to the Pharisees, referring, it, referring to it as foundational and elementary. Right? These things you ought to have do, referring to these things you ought to have done referring to the tithe and not neglecting the heavier and weightier matters of the law. You ought to have done it. It's foundational, basic, elementary. It's Christianity 101. All right? The tithe is 10% of your income. The word tithe comes from the Hebrew word meaning tenth. Okay? Follow me? Okay? The tithe belongs to the local church, your local church. Okay, whatever you draw from, whatever you are planted and rooted in, your tithe belongs in that storehouse. And the promise is, bring the tithe to the stores that there may be food in the house. And that food is not referring to sandwiches and hum ching bang outside. That food is, is spiritual. Yeah, it's not like we take a tithe and buy hum ching bang. Fulfilled the word. No, not at all. Okay, that food re- represents spiritual food. Revelation. And I know not one church on the planet that has revelation if they do not give. The revelation of God accompanies the generosity, faithfulness, sacrifice of the people. Right? Okay. You still with me? Okay. Heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Question is, am I cursed, doomed, damned, going to hell if I do not tithe? I'm going to give you a very good answer that I don't know. <laughs> but I'm not going to stand up here and go you and put fear on you in order to do that. I'm not going to do that. Okay? And, and you know, we've heard some, uh, and you know, I, I know some people who have been in really dysfunctional environments where, where um, you know, they, they will have a list of people, you know, and, and I'm not trying to shame a church, but, but, you know, we, we need to get out of this dysfunction, dysfunctionality. You know, people will be shamed because they do not tithe. Yeah. Their names will be read out. Uh, leaders would, would, would check and then uh, scold them if they do not tithe. No, tithe is not yeah. a byproduct of fear. Tithe is a byproduct of your faith. Mm-hmm. This is your decision, your choice. Right? right? How many of you know that Jesus broke every curse on the cross? Yeah. Right? Right? The Lord will not inflict something on you that his son died to get rid of. That will be a divisive household. That will be a disunited trinity. The father didn't send a storm for Jesus to come. <laughs> Think about that. That would be so messed up. Like, 
here's a sick person, Jesus. <laughs> I don't think so. But, you know, there's another um, word used to describe curse in the Old Testament. And I think that's more applicable in the New Testament. And that word curse actually means this. It means the absence of blessing. So think about it this way. When I obey the word of the Lord, I am under blessing. Okay? When I choose not to do so, okay, I move out of that covering. And now I am exposed, susceptible. The, the Bible says that the devourers would come to you. They would take the fruit of the ground, cause your vine to gnaw bad fruit. Right? When I choose not to obey, I move out. Okay, of that covering, of that realm of blessing. Right? Does it make sense? Yeah. What does it look like practically? You know, when we choose, okay, let's, let's not do the tithe. You know, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I can, I'm going to kick 100%. Like, 100% of my income, I think I can, I, can, I can make do. I don't need the blessing of the Lord. You know? Mammon. And now I'm out, right? And now I'm just going about my life. And... Here's the thing, you know, like you would find, okay, I'm sure some of you can attest to it, the car starts breaking down. Unexpected bills. Unexpected expenses. And money just, just flows out. I want to propose to you a thought that what you withhold will eventually be taken from you anyway. What you choose to withhold will be eventually taken from you anyway. Israel, okay, in the book of Daniel, were given a commandment Israel, you are to work the land for seven years. And on the seventh year, okay, so six years, seventh year, you are to rest the land. What does that mean? Okay? It doesn't mean put bed sheets and pillows on the land. Rest land. No. Okay, for six years they are toiling the ground, right? They are working it, they are whacking hamtam the land. Okay, on the seventh year, okay, stop that. Feast and harvest from whatever grows from the land naturally, right? That was the commandment that the Lord gave Israel. Work the land for six years, and the seventh year rested. Israel disobeyed that commandment from the Lord for 490 years. That's a, a little bit of a delayed obedience. <laughs> it took 490 years in order to get the stuff right. So for 490 years, okay, Israel did not rest the land. How many of you are familiar that Israel was exiled from their land at one point? Do you know that? Okay, read your Bible. Okay. Israel was kicked out of their land for how many years? You know? 70 years. For 70 years, Israel was exiled from their land. What is one seventh of 490 years? What you withhold will eventually be taken from you. Anyway, you're making sense. <laughs> you can go a lot further on ninety percent and God and hundred percent without God. If Warren Buffett are here, how many of you know who Warren Buffett is? <laughs> Warren Buffett, okay, investor, very rich guy, a lot of money. All of us here. If Warren Buffett walks in a room today, all of us here will not have a problem parting with 50%, 80% of our income. Right? 
and giving it to him. It costs a right. Warren Buffett, you know what you're doing, right? I'm going to give you like 50, 80% of my deal. Take! You, you will surely like bring back more than what I give, right? We will have no problem. Let alone 10%, right? Is Warren Buffett smarter than God? Warren Buffett is not smarter than God. <laughs> but somehow, right, for some reason, we have problems trusting the Lord with that 10%. And that, that trust, it's, it's really rooted in that. I don't really have faith and confidence in God. Am I making sense? Right? Or you, you may think, man, this local church, don't know what they're up to. I don't want to give. You know, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to engage. And, and the local church becomes like a, a stumbling block. Like, I don't want to give. And like, I don't know what they're doing, right? And like, I'm being prudent. I'm being wise. But how many of you know that mistrust and unbelief often masquerades itself as wisdom? I'm not saying don't keep the leaders accountable. I'm not saying don't ask questions. But I'm saying sometimes your idea on like, I, I don't know where this money is going and you choose not to give, that is not wisdom. It's unbelief. Disobedience. It is optional for you to give here. It is not optional for you to give. Who have you caught that? If here is the problem, Find somewhere else that you have faith to give. But it's not an option for you to choose to give or not give. Here is optional. You can go anywhere else. But you do not want to place yourself liable for not obeying the word of the Lord. Am I making sense? Okay, Rabbi. I have so many verses to share you, but there's one in Hebrews that says that, you know, that oh, I love the, the phrasing, so poetic. It says that it is men who are dying that receive the tithe. Men who will fade away, men who will pass away, they are the ones who receive the tithe. But it is he that does not fade away, that does not pass away, who receives the offering, who receives delight, who receives that tithe, right? We receive it physically on the earth. Yeah, it says, it's man who pass away, receive it on the earth, but that ultimately goes to he who does not pass away, who does not fade away, right? We give, you're not giving, your tithe is not giving into, you know, you, you can't think of it as I'm giving into a church fund. You're storing treasures in heaven, right? This is where some si tong, you know, and, and, and what is in the natural will so be in the spirit. Yeah, right, right. That making sense? Do I have one more verse, Proverbs? Is that, is that a verse on Proverbs? Proverbs oh, is such a good book. There's one who scatters yet increases more, and there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. I'm reading all this verse based on the agreement that we have that Jesus is Lord of all and his word is absolutely true. 
If it's true, then that verse is true. Amen? Here's why we tithe. Here's why we give. Giving unlocks the blessings of heaven. It does. Right? It does. Some of you are struggling financially. I want to encourage you to be faithful with your tithe even in the midst of difficulty and watch and see how the Lord will break in for you. Right? You know? And just see how he comes in as provider. That's, it, it's going to be glorious and beautiful. The next uh, aspect of Christian giving. Okay? It's this thing called offering and alms. Offering and alms. Okay? Offerings are given in support of a, a cause, support of war mission, support of uh, feeding uh, the poor, support of um, you know, um, different uh, kingdom initiatives. You know, we, we collect an offering and this money we use to extend God's kingdom. We, we channel it into uh, our mission partners. We channel it into missions. We channel it into the growth and development of God's people. So you give an offering to a cause. It's a giving. Think of the tithe as a payment. Okay? Dick Joyce says, says that the tithe is rent payment for living on God's earth, breathing God's air, and, yeah, and you do not want to be evicted. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Offering and, offerings and alms, right? Offerings you, you give to, towards a cause. Follow me? Alms are what you give to the poor and needy directly. Okay? We are called to engage in both. Offerings and alms. How many of you know that God so loved the world that he gave? I'm going to say it again. God so loved the world that he gave. The love of God is really expressed through giving. Let's have that verse. 1 John 3.17. This is sucker punch. If someone has enough money to live well and see a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Ouch, man, I was on the floor when I read that. I was like, oh. Right? And some of you are like, I'm not really living very well. Yeah, yeah, please. Please, okay? <laughs> Get over yourself. <laughs> and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? How can God's love be in that person? Um, I remember we, we first started meeting in this, uh, this location. I think we were three months in, and we had our first Chinese New Year service here. Okay? And uh, it was a great service. It was Sunday morning. I think it was 2C. So it was, uh, for those who don't speak Chinese, uh, pre, no? uh, day before Chinese New Year, New Year's Eve. Okay? And so we, we were up here, had a grand old time, and uh, we dismissed the service, and everyone left, right? And... Uh, um, we went down, and a bunch of us were going to grab lunch. And, uh, and you know, the beauty of this location is uh, on Sundays, there's virtually no one here. There's no one here, you know. Roads are empty. Nobody likes to come here on Sunday uh, morning. And I, I was downstairs, you know, we were wa- walking a bunch of people, and I saw uh, a lady at a bus stop. And, uh, and then I was like, you know, I'm going to talk to her. And so I... I, I no, kind of like faded away from, from the group. And they went forward. And I went to the lady. And uh, she was an older lady. Uh, had a hunch. Uh, she was going to the trash bins, right? Picking up trash cans, okay, from the trash bin. And this is not far away from where we are now. It's right downstairs at the bus stop, 
outside of church, Sunday morning. So I went to her, struck out a conversation, come to realize that uh, all her children abandoned her, um, she has no money, and, uh, and you know, she, she was just alone. Chinese New Year Eve, no family, picking cans out of trash bin to get by. And, uh, you know, I, I got talking to her, and, uh, and, no, thank God I had, like, money on me, and I, I gave her a $50 note, and I was like, hey, Auntie, uh, I, said, I spoke to her in Chinese, but I would not scare you with the, my, my Chinese pronunciation, because some of you were like, I don't want to come to this church anymore, this guy butchering language of my people. And, uh, and so, lighthearted, lah. Um, and so, and so uh, I gave it to her, and then she was like, no, 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 I cannot take it. Puya, 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 I cannot take it. And, uh, and then I, I just pushed it in her hand, and I was like, like you know, Jesus loves you, and uh, go back home, stop doing this, go back home, have a good dinner, uh, enjoy yourself. It's Chinese New Eve. And then she started asking me this question of, um, like, why do you do these things? You know? Like, who are you? you know, why? You know? And I got to tell her I'm a Christian, and kind of realized that she was also a Christian, and we prayed together at a bus stop. And I uh, got her to go home. Uh, what is my point of saying it? I'm not. You know, this, 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 this thing happened like two years ago. It's not something that I bring up. You know. My point is this. There's something about giving, about generosity, that awakens something in an individual and be like, Huh, this is out of the ordinary. This is not normal. When we give to the poor, somehow it points people to God. It leads people to God. Okay? There's this story in Acts chapter 11. Can we have that? Acts chapter 11. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Where is the famine going to hit? The whole world, right? It's going to be great famine throughout all the world. Do you think that will include the place where they are in? Yes? Yes, this is not rocket science. It's not a trick question. Okay? <laughs> All the world, famine, which includes where they're at. So these people, in the midst of famine, in the midst of impending lack, to be honest, collected an offering and gave it to the people in Judea. And they did so because Judea is where the gospel came from. It's where the gospel was sent forth to impact these people. And they gave, they, they offered honor, they gave an offering to these people in the midst of a famine. Amazing, crazy, right? Paul would go on, right, to describe this story in 2 Corinthians. I don't have the verse up, but this is what Paul says in essence. He says, I offer thanks to God because of your giving. There's such a profound effect we can have on people when we choose to give to the poor and needy. Think about it this way. When you give to the poor and needy, it is an opportunity to point someone to the Lord. Do you have that kind of vision when you choose to give to the poor and needy? So I'm just not, it's not just tossing or you know, change and stuff like that, but it's an opportunity. Like I get to 
awaken you to the reality that there is good in this world and there is a good Father who loves you. It says that it is His kindness that leads people to repentance. We have a lottery mentality when it comes to that. One day, God's kindness will fill the whole earth. But what if His kindness is supposed to flow through a conduit and that is you? Amen. This verse in Proverbs and uh, I love Proverbs. The, Pro- the book of Proverbs is so loaded and this is from a translation called the Passion Translation. It's beautiful, beautiful translation. I will talk about it in a later time but it says this, your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience. Think about that. Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience. We've all heard the verse, without faith, uh, without works, faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. If you read it in this context, James chapter 2, that work okay, is this. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute or, or without daily food, and one of them says, and one of you says, then depart in peace, be warm and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Pass also faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. You cannot profess to be a person of faith and not give to the poor. You can't be a Christian and not care for the poor. When you do it unto least of these, you do it unto him. When you walk past a person in need, when you're callous to a person in need, you're callous to Jesus. Amen? Here's what giving does. Giving Next slide. <laughs> I need to be more uh, clear with my comments. <laughs> giving leads people to God. <laughs> Are you all enjoying this here? I'm, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm surprised at how much fun you're having. Okay. The last one, okay. This is the... I, okay. I'm sure, okay. I'm sure, okay. 80% of this church, this church is so great. Most of you are doing both. Right? Or one or the other, right? You're giving a tithe, faithfully sowing to the house, sowing to the work of the ministry, giving the offering, supporting a cause, and giving to the poor. You guys are doing that. Perfect. Amazing. Great. Well done. But there's a third aspect of Christian giving that is the rarest. It's not often seen. But I think if we can get this thing right in our lives, it's, it's, it's going to create some radical change and reformation in the world we're living in. And this third aspect of giving is something on a call royal generosity. Royal generosity. Royal generosity. Do you know that you are royalty? It says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When we were saved, we became the righteousness of God. We are no longer sinners. We are sons and daughters of God. You and I, we are extremely, extremely significant. Think about it. The tabernacle of Moses, which was built for that one purpose of, of housing the glory of God. Okay, that tabernacle, by today's estimation, would be worth $16 billion. Fast forward, Temple of Solomon. Same purpose, house the glory of God. House that Shekinah glory, the glory that dwells. That temple is worth an estimate 
of $60 billion. Fast forward, the Son of God, it said the glory dwelt within Him. In His actual wedding, it said the glory tabernacled within the Son of God. Son of God gave His life, shed His blood. And then before He died, it said this, they may tear down the physical temple, but I'll raise a new one in three days. What are you called? Temples of the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That same assignment that was presented to the tabernacle, the temple, the Son of God is now presented to you. We go from glory to glory. The, the glory of God was housed in precious jewels, precious metals, gold, amazing things, 16 billion, 60 billion. But now it's made its way to you. You were God's plan all along. Not a $60 billion building. You are worth more than a $16 billion tabernacle, a $60 billion temple. You are worth the Son of God laying down His life for you. You are extremely, extremely significant. You need to know that. You need to know that. You are royalty. Come on. How do royal people give? I want to show you from the life of Solomon, who I believe is a prototype for New Testament living. I will expound that in a different sermon, but let's look at the life of Solomon and uh, this interaction he had with Queen of Sheba. Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a great retinue with camels that bore spices. That's interesting. Very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Next slide. Then she said to the king, it was true, a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I hear. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Because God loves Israel, he puts Solomon in that position. The favor, the blessing of God that's upon your life, it's not primarily for your sake. It's for the sake of the people around you. He has favored you greatly for the sake of others. Favor that ends with you has missed its intended target. Favor that ends with you effectively makes you a dead sea. Okay? Next slide. Now, King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, beside what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Solomon gave to Sheba all that she asked on top of what he presented to her and, and a, a gift which is termed as royal generosity. I'll put it to you that kings don't give to meet need. King's gift because it's who they are. There's this famous story about Alexander the Great. 
The story is told that one day a beggar by the roadside asked for alms from, the, from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and wretched and had no claim upon the ruler, no right even to lift a hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. A courtier was astonished at his generosity and commented, Sir, copper coins will adequately meet a beggar's need. Why give him gold? Alexander responded in royal fashion, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins would suit Alexander's giving. What will our giving look like if we actually believed we are royalty, we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, whose riches are inexhaustible, unfathomable, immeasurable? What would our giving look like? Can you imagine that? The challenge is such for us. Okay? In plenty, when there's a lot, when, there's a, when it's bountiful, it's easy to be generous, hard to be sacrificial. In lack, it is easy to be sacrificial, hard to be generous. The Christian giving is to be marked by those two things. Generosity, sacrifice. It's when we get our belief systems right. Every sacrifice or loss becomes temporal. Whenever you lay down something, you leave with so much more. That's what happens in the kingdom. When Abraham laid down Isaac, he laid down his son. He was the father to one. But when he picked up Isaac, right, he became the father of nations. The boy who laid the five loaves and two fishes at Jesus' feet saw that miracle happen for himself. Whatever loss you participate in, it's part temporal. But that reward is eternal. Every loss temporal, every victory, eternal. You're making sense? Generosity becomes a natural expression when you realize that you can never outgive God. You know, I've talked a lot about money. Spend an hour talking about money. Thank you so much for being with me. But I, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna push our, I wanna expand, you know, your understanding of what generosity can look like for your lives. How many of you know who Catherine Coleman is? Yeah, amazing healing revivalist. You know, long finger magics, uh, but. Healing person, uh, amazing, uh, signs and wonders, uh, really a pioneer for women in ministry, amazing person. Uh, uh, you know, this is not a very known fact, but in Catherine Coleman's book, she writes about her father. And her father was a mayor of the city, of a city. Okay, her father was a prominent political figure. He was a mayor, okay? And the story goes one day, you know, uh, Mr. Mayor Coleman was walking out of a store. And as he approached the doorway, the town drunk walks by him, pushes him out of the way, and walks out the door. And then immediately the aides came to the mayor and were like, Mr. Mayor, are you going to let that drunk do that to you? Are you going to let him push you around? And his response was extremely profound. He says this, I can afford it. I can afford it. Sometimes the need for vindication comes from poverty thinking, poverty spirit. I can afford it. 
Sometimes generosity looks like withholding. Withholding judgment, withholding criticism, and choosing to extend mercy and grace. Here's where it gets annoying. That will extend to you driving on the road later. Guy cuts you off. I don't need to haunt my displeasure. I, I'm okay. I withhold. Customer service rep, just horrible. Horrible, horrible. I don't need to correct the person there. Right? You know? What does it do? It just perpetuates an endless cycle of displeasure. Right? There's one thing that I do that, that Amy has found out and she was like, you need to change that. I have this high value for customer service. And so I've gone to shops where like, okay, here's, here's how annoying I am. Please still love me, right? I will go into a shop and if the shop is selling something for $80, $85 and I get no customer service, I feel that it's poor, they're not really doing their job, I would rather go to a store and pay like $10 to $15 more just for better customer service. I know it's annoying. I know, Andre, what the heck? But... Yeah, it's, it's just a my thing. I'm, I'm working process, working out my salvation, fear and trembling. Uh, but uh, I, I've, I caught myself doing this thing which I'm like, this is so not Christ-like. I would go into a, a store and if I'm not served well, I would make an exclamation. Oh my gosh, customer service is so poor that I walk out. <laughs> and, and this is like, people think like, Andre, you're so brave. I'm not brave. If I'm brave, I will go and talk to a person, but I'm like, oh my gosh, customer service is so poor that I walk out. It's like, it's like a five-year-old didn't get his toy, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but what do we look like to be a royal person? Knowing who I am in Christ, knowing who I have as a father, right? Knowing my status in Him. And you know what? I, the person may treat me that way, but my identity is not defined by the person's action. I don't need to impose my status on that person doesn't work that way. My identity is defined by one, by the Father. Not by anything else. Not by my wealth, not by my positions, not by my possessions. It's by the Father. So generosity affirms our royal identity. And royal people give. Not to simply meet me, but they give because it's who they Can we stand? Amen, amen. Awesome. How many of you are familiar with the story where where Jesus... um, got down on his knees and uh, began to wash the disciples' feet. How many of you are familiar with the story, yeah? yeah? You know, Jesus, Jesus washed feet. Yeah, he is amazing, amazing servant king. But, you know, it says this in the verse. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet. This is what happens when you truly know you're significant in God. You begin to serve and meet the needs of other people. I I will know how secure you are in your identity in God. I will know how affirmed you are in the revelation of you as a son 
by how well you serve and give to other people. When you exhibit that royal generosity that comes from a royal identity. I am a son and I give. And I give joyfully because I have access to my father's kingdom and my father's riches. And when I am about my father's business, when I obey his words, I live under a realm of blessing. I may seek first the kingdom, have all things added onto me, that I may experience what is true riches. True riches is not more unrighteous mammon, it's not more cash. But true riches is that, is that, that wealth that is built up in the heavenlies that will not fade away, that no moth, no rust can touch. When we are faithful with what we have on the earth, it brings about a reward that stands for all eternity. When Cornelius gave in Acts, it says this, it says that a memorial was built in heaven that's amazing that your giving is more than just meeting a temporal need it shouts faith allegiance trust in the Lord and it shouts not just in that moment but for all eternity like Mary breaking the alabaster jar that's the gift of giving right it's not a loss it is not an obligation it's an opportunity it is one to be filled with so much joy